0: Monuments and memorials are not about history, but honor. You would not be able to learn about the Civil War by studying our Confederate rock. We teach the past in classes and books. Monuments, on the other hand, are about who we wish to honor today and what values we wish to honor in the future. Welcome to Baptist Without an Adjective, a podcast of Word and Way. I'm your host, Word and Way Editor and President Brian Kaler. On this program, we'll hear from Baptists from across the denominational, ethnic, national, and ideological lines that too often divide us. At Word & Way, we've been informing and inspiring Baptists since 1896. Learn more about us at wordandway.org. This episode is sponsored in part by the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. The Cooperative Baptist Fellowship is a network of people and churches working together to spread the hope of Christ. For more than 25 years, CBF has been driven by its mission to serve Christians and churches as they discover and fulfill their God-given mission. Join the fellowship at work in long-term global missions in more than 25 countries. Join them too as they strive to form healthy congregations and support the ministers that serve them. Put your faith to action. Visit cbf.net to get connected. In this episode, we're going to do something a little bit different. A hot topic this year has been related to the removals of Confederate monuments and memorials across the country. This has particularly been something that's been happening since the police killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis back in May. In fact, there's a historian who's actually been tracking Confederate monuments that have been removed since that time period. He's counted as of this week, at least 73. Now, the ones that have gotten a lot of attention are those that were dragged down and destroyed by protesters. That's only about 10 on his list. The rest have been removed, actually, through the normal legal procedures. Local city officials, ever in charge of the public space where the Confederate monument has been, has voted to remove their honor that they've had to the Confederate, either Army overall or individual Confederate leader. I would add that there is one additional one that doesn't fit that, and that is one in Lake Charles, Louisiana. There had been a push there, including by some local Baptists, to remove a Confederate monument there, and city officials actually decided, they voted to keep that particular monument, and then on August 26th, it was destroyed by Hurricane Laura. That one doesn't quite fit as a city vote, as most of them are, or by protesters, as a handful of them are. You can find that list, by the way, of Confederate monuments that have been removed, at cwmemory.com and just click on the project section of the site there at cwmemory.com and look for recent Confederate monument removals. And I want to spend a little time talking about this subject today because I testified this week in an effort to have a local Confederate monument in my hometown to have it removed so that we would no longer be honoring someone that frankly, is not worthy of honor. And we're going to get to the specifics of that particular monument in a moment. But this is an important topic because it's been a nationwide conversation and dialogue. And so this has been something that's been in our public conversation. We've covered it a bit in Wordenway Magazine, as well as on the podcast. In fact, several episodes ago, back in episode 127 in June, Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove had this to say about watching these Confederate monuments and memorials
1: coming down. Well, you know, I'm a biblicist. I'm a Baptist. I was raised on the Bible, so when I see people pulling down statues from the Asherah poles, you know, I go straight to the Old Testament. This is very biblical. It's a very biblical thing to come to a a moment of crisis conversion, and to realize that the gods you have worshipped have been killing you, and so you have to do something about it. And the other thing I would say, this is what I spent a good bit of time trying to walk white Christians through in that book, uh, Reconstructing the Gospel, that in particular with these Confederate monuments, that uh, that they in many ways are symbols of a lie that we've been told and that we've told ourselves about what happened in the past and about what Christianity did in response. I mean, the the Christianity that justified slaveholding before the Civil War was essentially the same in in terms of both the message and the people who were bringing the message of the so-called redemption movement that overthrew Reconstruction in the South and that initiated and backed white supremacy governments after Reconstruction in the late 19th and then early 20th century. And it's incredibly important to recognize the history of these monuments. 80-some percent of these monuments were put up during that period of white supremacist rule when Jim Crow was made law in southern states, and, um, and and even some of the monuments that are outside of the South went up at that same time period because that redemption movement really nationalized white supremacy. Um, I mean, we can't forget that Woodrow Wilson was president, you know, former Princeton University president from New Jersey and yet he is the is the president who you know invited the the new motion picture birth of a nation to be shown in the White House who resegregated you know federal offices in DC who made segregation and Jim Crow practices national policy while he was president and that is the time period when most of these monuments were going up and so to say that these monuments need to come down because they are symbolic of the compromise, not only of our constitutional commitments, but of our faith commitments to white supremacy, I think is an incredibly important thing. It's a time; it is a time for smashing idols, and I believe, as a Christian, that there's a great biblical precedent for that. And so I, uh, I, I celebrate when I see the monuments come down. Our uh, Confederate soldier here in Durham came down after the. Uh, massacre at Charlottesville a couple of years ago. And um, I went downtown the the day or so after that happened when, when folks gathered. And uh, I thought it was a beautiful representation of our city, all the people who live here coming together and uh, uh, celebrating a new kind of future.
0: And then a few episodes later, we had a conversation devoted even more to the idea of Confederate Monuments and Memorials. We had Ryan Andrew Newson. He's an assistant professor of theology and ethics at Campbell University in North Carolina. He was on in episode 131 in July. And he's the author of a brand new book, Cut in Stone, Confederate Monuments and Theological Disruption. It's a fantastic book. I would encourage you to check it out, as well as the interview there in episode 131. And one of the key things that he talks about is the need Not just to tear down Confederate monuments and memorials, though he's very clear that he thinks most of them should go, but it's not just enough to tear them down. He suggests that we need to mess with them, that we need to disrupt their theology because these are theological objects and they're proclaiming an ideology that needs to be undermined because otherwise we could take away the monuments and that theology is still there, still impacting our thinking, still impacting our public policy decisions. So, here's a little bit of what he had to say about that idea.
2: The central argument of the book, the main argument of the book, is kind of deceptively simple, which is simply to say that Confederate monuments are theologically weighted in nature. They are something like sacred objects. Uh, I say that not just, that's not a hyperbole. Um, they, they manifest, they uh, plug into certain deeply theological ways of seeing the world that continue to have power today. So at their inception, at their um, construction, at their dedication, there's Christian, there's theology, in fact, Christian theology all over the place on them. And then also in their design, they tap into those things. And so my part of what I wanted to do is uh, when I first started was to pay attention to the historical context within which these monuments arose. Some of that history has become more widely known since then from when I began, which is great, although not as widely known as I might like. Um, but it's their, their theological underpinning is is more the contribution and that is less talked about and known. So the goal is to describe that. And then because I think that helps understand the power and allure, both of the monuments, but more importantly of what they kind of represent that continue to have kind of power with or without them statues standing. And so to truly disrupt these monuments and what they represent more importantly is to, it's going to require, you know, I'm a theologian, so a sort of counter theology that at each place they sort of present a theology of, Uh, uh, remembrance, uh, let's say, or whiteness as ultimate, then it's the task of Christians who are interested in doing faithful Christian talk in public to counter that at precisely the place in which they are theological. I mean, I know it's striking to me. I don't know if you saw the um, Robert E. Lee statue in Richmond when they um, projected image of Harriet Tubman on it. And it said, uh, I think it's a BLM on the horse part of it, it. And it has a quote from her about slavery being the closest thing to hell on earth. I mean, that is the kind of, I explore that as one kind of creative option. That's not technically removal, but it's almost more disruptive that it's not a permanent solution. I don't think you could constantly have that up, but that, that kind of thing does a sort of Aikido with the symbol itself that is, does, I think, attempt to get at what this, the roots underneath the weed, you
0: know. And during that episode, while Ryan and I were speaking, I talked a little bit about the Confederate monument that's in Jefferson City, Missouri. We were talking about this issue of erasing history, which is a charge that people have been making here in the city. As some of us have spoken out against this memorial and saying that it should be removed we're saying, oh, you're trying to erase history, and we can't we shouldn't forget history. If you do, you're doomed to repeat it. And yet these objects, particularly the local one, but in general, these objects are are really anti-history. They are not history, nor are they designed to teach history, even if they were historically accurate. So here's a bit of that conversation that Ryan and I had back in episode 131 about history, as well as I'm introducing for you the Jefferson City Memorial that I'm going to be talking about again in just a moment.
2: I think for Christians, I think the goal is to provide a counter theological narrative about what's going on, then that is provided in these Confederate monuments. So insofar as the monuments hold up whiteness as uh, uh, most beautiful and closest to God, which they do, whether we realize it or not, Christians should be ready to provide a counter aesthetic, a counter vision of the beautiful that comes from a vision of God, who is not white. And I don't mean that in a some melanin way, but, you know. Uh, Christ, Christ Himself being the one who is the criterion by which we judge uh, what is most true and most beautiful and most good.
0: Yeah, you know, of course, you you mentioned also about the idea of not knowing history and not to, not to taste it chase too much of a tangent. But you know, some of these monuments are just are historically inaccurate. Uh, so yeah, we actually have one in my hometown where I live in Jefferson City, Missouri. We have one Confederate monument, and I've I've written about it in the local paper recently about why it should go. And it, it, it's clearly not even this charge of erasing history because the monument itself is historically inaccurate. Yeah. And so, you know, so the Confederates were coming to take over the state capitol and realize that they were outnumbered. So they ran. And the monument, the monument is honoring the Confederate general for, quote, deciding not to attack, which on his face is like the dumbest momo- monument. That's one way to put it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, he decided to retreat. Yeah. But it's like well, I mean even if even if it was true it's like why would you honor someone for for deciding not to attack as opposed to honoring the forces you know that protected the city. And so, you know, it's just it's this big ugly rock with a plaque on it. But it's 1933, United daughters of the Confederacy, right? We didn't have a good battle, so this is all we could do is get this dumb rock. And, and so, you know, they're not even historically accurate often, which I think is is also kind of interesting. Yes. In thinking about some of that.
2: Yes, a great new book. I, I, I mean, I do this in my book as well, but um, I, I, this book was published as well after this has all happened very recently, but it's called The False Cause by this guy, Adam Doombie, I believe it. And he talks about all the ways in which all these monuments variously are his, quite historically inaccurate, oftentimes in, in, in particulars, but then in the broad sort of lost cause narrative in general is a complete false narrative about history in the past. The point is it comes together to create a sort of false narrative about history uh, that's just kind of maddening Then to hear somebody say this is erasing history it's like you know these things themselves erase history and the more late they get so 1933 did you say yes that's right the more late they get you see they get more um i talk about in, in the book there's a sort of taxonomy you can do with that you should do with confederate monuments. that the earlier they could perform differently at different stages in history and earlier ones are placed typically in cemeteries or battlefields and they're a little more muted Um, They're not innocent, but they don't perform in the same way. But as you get later, they are more and more and more verbose in this sort of narration. And by the time you get to the 30s and then like the 50s and 60s, I mean, there's books on these things that are very self-consciously trying to say something about a historical event that turns out usually is not
0: uh, historically there at all. So that leads us to Wednesday, August 26th the Jefferson City Historic Preservation Committee held a public hearing about this marker. Should it stay? Should it go? Should it be changed? Should other things be added? And it was a pretty long conversation. A number of people testified on both sides. There were more that were testifying on the need to remove it, but there were several voices on the other side as well. And so I had the opportunity to offer my voice. I was glad to do so. I had actually had a letter in the local newspaper back in June, talking about the problems of this memorial and why it should be removed. There have been a number of other letters to the editor on both sides in the couple of months since then. The city's Human Relations Commission previously voted to urge the city council to remove this monument. The the Historic Preservation Committee had actually initially decided that it should stay, but Maybe some other markers should be put there in the area, the green space around this to provide some more context. Now, that is an interesting idea. So when they said that a couple of weeks ago that, well, maybe we just need more context, more markers to explain the monument, I I kept thinking about what Ryan was talking about, this idea of messing with the theology behind them. And so on August 20th, which was the 401st anniversary of black enslavement, in the American colonies, I, I went and visited the monument, and I put up, printed out on a piece of paper on top of the plaque, a quotation from W.E.B. Du Bois. You see, back in 1931, Du Bois was criticizing these Confederate monuments that were being installed across the country during this era of Jim Crow and white supremacy, and he said it'd be nice if they were at least historically honest, if they were accurate in what they put on the inscriptions. So he suggested that the inscription should say, sacred to the memory of those who fought to perpetuate human slavery. So to mess with the theology of this marker, that's what I did. I printed off in big letters, sacred to the memory of those who fought to perpetuate human slavery, and then a little bit smaller text below that, W.E.B. Du Bois, and I went and attached that to the plaque. I shared the photos on social media as a way of helping people think about this Confederate marker in a little bit more honest way. Interestingly enough, somebody actually took the piece of paper off the plaque, but stuck it down by the, on the side of this rock that we have. So when the newspaper, a couple of days later, had an article about some of this community debate about this particular marker, they had a picture that included my sign still there on the side of the rock and explained in the caption both what was on the piece of paper and why W.E. Du Bois had suggested that, which I thought was fantastic because now we're not just going to hopefully remove this rock, but we're helping educate the public and getting people to think about what do these markers actually seek to honor. So anyways, all of that was a lead up then to Wednesday night when the Preservation Commission decided to have a public hearing. They had already suggested that, well, maybe we should just have more context. The city council should just leave it alone. But then they decided to have a public hearing and invite the public to offer their thoughts. And they allowed people to testify virtually, which in this time of coronavirus, I was particularly thankful for. And so I chose that option. And so here's my short testimony on why this marker should be removed. And I didn't go into a lot of the history because a couple other people had already done that very well. The president of the Missouri NAACP, Rod Chappell, had spoken. Our former state Republican representative here in Jefferson City, Jay Barnes had done a great job of walking through the historical eras of this. And so I was doing more of the big picture of helping reframe what this debate and what this vote is really all about. So here's what I had to say. I'm a Baptist minister who grew up in Jefferson City and returned once again to call the city home. And I wanna thank you for having this session allowing people to testify virtually. And as cities across the nation remove monuments honoring Confederate traders and enslavers, our city should too. After all, monuments and memorials are not about history, but honor. You would not be able to learn about the Civil War by studying our Confederate rock. We teach the past in classes and books, Monuments, on the other hand, are about who we wish to honor today and what values we wish to honor in the future. That is why you will not find memorials to Adolf Hitler across Germany. But we all still learn about his evils. Likewise, we do not need a monument honoring a traitor and enslaver to learn about the evils of the Confederacy and its lost cause of enslaving black people. So removing this marker will not be rewriting or erasing history it will be removing an honor to a traitor and enslaver. After our city's monument is historically inaccurate, the traitor and enslavered honors did not decide against attacking, but decided to retreat. And those who installed this monument in our city attempted to rewrite history by pretending the traitors and enslavers were actually the good guys worthy of honor. Among the more than 70 Confederate monuments removed nationwide this year, are several in Richmond, Virginia. If the old capital of the Confederacy can take down its honors to the traders and enslavers, then surely we can find the political courage and moral vision to do so as well here in the Union capital of Missouri. So let us be clear about what this moment is about. If you vote to recommend leaving this marker as it is, then you are voting to keep honoring a trader and enslaver. Now if you want to honor a traitor and enslaver, if you think the city should honor traitors and enslavers as people worthy of emulating, then by all means vote to leave our monument alone. But do not suggest that by doing so you are preserving history. Let us be honest about this choice. It is not about history, but honor. So perhaps then if we really wish to honor a traitor and enslaver, we should be honest and use the inscription that W.E.B. Du Bois suggested for confederate monuments as he criticized them in 1931 just two years before we got ours he said the inscription should say sacred to the memory of those who fought to perpetuate human slavery stick that on the dumb rock or better yet just tear the thing down at the close of that meeting the members of the Historic Preservation Commission did vote to, in fact, now recommend that the city council remove this Confederate marker from our community. So it's exciting to see this process moving forward. Hopefully the city council will take up this topic soon and will, in fact, decide to remove this marker. And so I hope that you will then take a look at Confederate monuments and memorials in your own community, if they exist. Are there ways that you can speak out and help local officials recognize the need to remove them from your community? And perhaps are there ways that you can help mess with the theology to to start to disrupt the Confederate ideology that continues to exist too much in our society? How can we help people to see the sinfulness of this ideology of white supremacy and ways that we can start to undermine it and remove it memorial by memorial and law by law from our nation? There have been some efforts to help map some of these out. Maybe you don't even know if one exists in your community. And so one way you can check out a map is at tinyurl.com slash and Take a look and see if there's perhaps something in your own community that you need to speak out against and start to work against. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Baptist about an adjective. And I hope that you will help join the public conversation as we not only remove some of these markers, but also the theology that supports them. As always, you can find us at wordandway.org. And don't forget to check out our sponsoring partner for this week's episode, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship at cbf.net. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope that you will share it with your friends on Facebook. Head over to iTunes or your favorite podcast platform and write a positive review. It really does help more people to find the show. You can find easy to share links at podcast.wordandway.org. If you'd like to give to support of this program, we greatly appreciate it. And all you have to do at WordAndWay.org is hit the donate button, and whatever you give there will help support the production of this podcast, as well as our website and monthly magazine. And speaking of that magazine, if you're not a subscriber, I have a deal for you. Half off for one year, just go to tinyurlcom slash www.offer. If you have any comments or feedback about this program, you can send those to me at bkaler at Thanks for listening.